Hi, welcome back to another episode of Real World Serverless, a podcast where I speak with real world practitioners and get their stories from the trenches. Today, I'm joined by Jose Enrique and uh, George Bastias from Slybean. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Hey, yeah, thank you for having us. So I have to say, I've been watching your videos on YouTube for quite some time now, and I especially love the staff forensic series that uh, your CEO has been pushing out. So that's what got me interested when I noticed that the slide bin is uh, using Lumigo and is doing stuff with serverless. So I want to get you guys to maybe tell the audience who is Slybean and uh, what are your roles over there? Sure. Uh, yeah, my name is Jose Enrique Bolaños. I'm the uh, one of the co-founders and current CTO, CTO of Slybean and Jorge uh, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm a developer at uh, Slidebeam. We started using serverless, what, maybe five years ago, maybe. F- and yeah, so we started uh, Elastic Beanstalk and eventually we moved to serverless. Yeah, um, uh, just to give you a bit more background about Slidebeam, we started about eight or so years ago, around 2013, 2014. And we, what we set out to do was to solve the problem of people who don't have design skills when they create presentations. And so we wanted to separate the part of creating a presentation on the content side from the design part of it. So uh, the idea or what we set out to solve was allow people to enter what they wanted to say on their slides and our software would automatically create their slides for them and uh, arrange everything and design everything for them. Since then, we've pivoted to, um, we're more now of a startup that helps others, helps other startups pretty much. Um, we help startups get started and with how to, a lot of people who don't know how to pitch to investors, how to get investment, how to get up and running with when, when you're starting out, it's really complicated, right? There's a lot of different things that you need to juggle and so we are now a startup that helps other startups and just to give you a little bit more background about how we're using serverless uh, when we started out we've always been using aws for our hosting needs but our application initially was very simple it was just a front-end application and a simple back-end application with a mongo mongo database but initially we were using a, a simple ec2 machine on aws Pretty much we configured everything ourselves, but, you know, that kind of like got us uh, up and running for a a little bit of time before we hit issues with scalability and server maintenance, which is about a very big hassle. Then we moved to, we were using Elastic Beanstalk to solve some of those issues that we were having by just having a single, you know, by configuring EC2 machines ourselves. And Elastic Beanstalk was also helpful for a while before we kind of like hit another brick wall. And then that's where around that time, that's when the serverless solutions were starting to pick up and be, became more, became easier to use and more available uh, to developers. And, you know, our background is more of, of software development in terms of front end and back end applications. You know, we're not, at that time, we were not that savvy on DevOps topics and, and, and maintenance. So serverless, you know, serverless architections and AWS lambdas were pretty much a great solution for us because of the problem we were trying to solve. So yeah, uh, it's, it's been around eight years uh, that we've been working at Slavin and around five or so that we, we've been using serverless uh, architectures. Okay, so I guess the, nowadays, uh, what does your architecture look like? Uh, I guess you still have that front end. Is that hosted uh, statically? I guess maybe out of S3 and the CloudFront. And what about in terms of the back end? Uh, sounds like you still have some APIs. What about, uh, I guess, are you using API Gateway and Lambda? Anything else? 
Yeah, so our application is distributed in as a front-end application, which we use Cloudflare, Cloudflare for that, and we host, there, host it there. And our back-end application um, has gone through several transformations, but recently we've been leveraging GraphQL and GraphQL Federation to uh, distribute and you know the backend logic between different microservices, and so uh, all of those microservices for the backend are now hosted using uh, AWS Lambda, and we use a for the deployment we use a, something called uh, Up, which is Apex Up. It's a service that we leverage for that, and and yeah, everything is is hosted in AWS through Lambdas and serverless. We also have a some some other logic um, that, for example that was very useful to solve with uh, step functions, which is sometimes people need to export their presentations to other formats, like say PowerPoint or PDF. And that process happens outside of the front-end application. It's something that happens as a background process. And so when somebody requests an export, well, the solution that we have now is a solution based on step functions. And so pretty much when somebody wants to download a presentation, that step function is triggered. And then a whole process of background process of step functions where, for example, we take screenshots of the presentation, then we download, uh, process those images, and we finally build the, the final presentation file that we send out to the user. And that's all that everything happens using step functions. So this is the current solution that we have for that, and it's working great uh, so far. Okay, so that's quite interesting. The couple of things I guess uh, that piqued my interest there. For one, you mentioned that uh, you're doing GraphQL Federation and uh, you're connecting your GraphQL API to several microservices. I imagine those are you know, REST APIs sitting behind API Gateway and Lambda. Um, have you guys uh, looked into using something like AppSync instead? Because I guess when you first started, you know, maybe five years ago, AppSync wasn't really a thing. But nowadays, uh, you do have these uh, managed GraphQL capabilities you get out of AppSync. Is that something that you guys will ever consider or because of the fact that there's no federation support there that you, was, you, know, you see yourself uh, still sticking with uh, your current approach? Yeah, so we, uh, this federation, we're leveraging GraphQL federation recently in the maybe three months back, we started using it and we split our main GraphQL application into several different graphs, leveraging federation. But so we're kind of new to federation. So we haven't, you know, considered any more changes than that, but definitely we would look into, into using that in the future for sure. Okay, so what about in terms of uh, AppSync? Would you guys consider using AppSync instead of uh, uh, running GraphQL in your own code? Because I, I imagine you are running maybe something like Polo server uh, in, inside Lambda function behind API Gateway. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what we're uh, using right now. Honestly, uh, we're not, uh, I haven't delved too much into AppSync. Jorge, I don't know if you are aware of it, but yeah, what we a little bit. I saw um, I saw actually yesterday thing uh, App Sync Studio yesterday. I have to see the, the there was a webinar about that that I need to look at. But yeah, we're not using it yet. Uh, but I have looked at it before. So yeah, pretty much we have our pretty much we had a we used to have a single endpoint for our GraphQL, and now we have a gateway and some servers that are connected to it underneath. But we're we've all orchestrated everything ourselves, so to speak, with using leveraging API gateway. Okay, so maybe going back to uh, when you guys made a decision to to move 
to move from using elastic beanstalk to using Lambda. So after you made that decision, have you noticed any sort of changes in terms of uh, how fast your team is able to deliver new features uh, or maybe your cost for running your architecture in AWS? Any sort of, I guess, the business value that came from that decision to migrate to using serverless? Um, yeah, I can speak to maybe the, change, the decision to go from, for example, Elastic Beanstalk, where we had to manage scaling and those kind of topics ourselves to just move into to Lambdas. The main business advantage for us is that we don't have to have to worry about scaling pretty much. It, it was something that we're not, we don't have that much expertise on. So being able to allow pretty much AWS and the way, you know, because there are, those are serverless functions, we pretty much don't have to worry about it. I remember we used to have uh, issues where uh, we were not sure exactly when to, you know, scale up or scale down because our up, the, the nature of our application doesn't have any moments where we know, okay, like for example, if, if it was uh, something time sensitive related application, like for example, if it was a, a game for, let's say it was an application that kind of like something happens after a, a soccer game ends or for example so we know that after that game ends we need to scale up because there's going to be a much of it's going to be a traffic spike that's not the case with our applications we were not really sure how to set out those rules to scale up or down and with serverless functions it's pretty much you know that that, that problem kind of goes away because you know the architecture handle, handles it by itself so i think that's the main advantage of not having to handle servers since we're a very small team and we don't have we you didn't have that much expertise on on DevOps and things like that. And then we also, you know, the, the problem that we were trying to solve with exporting the presentations, set functions was really useful to kind of like be able to trace what's going on with a request. Because before we used to have a different, pretty much we had uh, endpoints where one would call the next and things like that. But it was a very manual process that we our code did. And now with set functions, it's really it's much easier to uh, handle a very complicated workflow and orchestrate everything. Yeah. So Jorge, maybe you can talk about that. Yeah. Well, the thing that we started using ESC2 server using actually PHP uh, to do the exports. And then, you know, we started looking into to the Lambda functions and it was really difficult for us at first because we started using the actual API, AWS API for Lambdas. And it was really difficult and until we ran into uh, the serverless framework. So that's what we, that's, we started using Lambda functions for that. And then we had to use uh, step functions to communicate them a bit better. And again, that was kind of difficult for us at the beginning. You know, now they have a new version of uh, step function, the, the studio, which is a lot easier to do recently. We are still using this serverless framework for that. And, you know, like it's a great solution for that uh, particular use case. We tried to use step functions for another solution that we're serverless solution called, uh, it's called monthly services, that solution. But that solution didn't fit our use case for step functions because we have a lot of uh, ways to enter the system and to exit the system. Step functions only has one starting point and ending point. So those are the kind of the problems that we've had just in general because it's a complicated environment for us, right? Yeah. So that's what we that's what we're using set function for that particular use case. 
And we just moved to use it. We're using SQS between Lambdas in that other solution, monthly services. And we are, we're still having some issues with that, but we're, we're using Lumigo to find those issues and fix them. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I think that's interesting because, like I said, having multiple entry points uh, to the same workflow can be a bit tricky. I have, I guess, you know, with step functions, you tend to have that one entry point. But I think with exit, you could have different terminal states. So the states with the, you know, n is true. So I think that should have been, I would have thought that's uh, something that uh, you can do. But obviously, I'm not familiar with your particular use case. Uh, so I'm sure you guys have considered that already. Um, but what I guess I do want to um, ask about this, your step functions is that uh, uh, one of the things that people have often talked about with step functions is just you know, how difficult it is to test uh, your state machine, especially when you've got a really complicated graph. So they recently announced this uh, you know, support for doing sort of local mocking with the step functions local. Is that something you guys have considered, have looked into? And is that a problem you guys have run into in terms of how do I test my step functions state uh, machine? Yeah, actually, one of the things that we've tried a bunch of things. We tried local stack, I think uh, that's a solution. And then we decided to use a bunch of serverless plugins in the serverless framework. Some of them kind of work and some of them don't. For instance, uh, we use Kinesis in one of our solutions. And one of those plugins just stopped working. We had to do some, the solution because we'd have to change the code for us to actually run it locally. In the end, we just stopped using it. Um, and I saw a recent webinar about that in Lumigo. It was a serverless uh, framework webinar. They said the best way to do that is having an account, a test account or development account. You can make your changes update the solution up to AWS and test it there because there's so many, it's not a good solution for us right now. I also looked into uh, SAM, but we're, you know, we haven't had a chance to look at into that very much yet, but yeah, it's, uh, it's difficult for us to do local testing currently. Yeah, I think uh, local simulation is always difficult. And that's why most people tell you don't bother with it. Uh, like local stack, I've had so many problems with local stack myself. And uh, I've tried local DynamDB, uh, local step functions, uh, or step functions local. They all kind of work to some degree, but it's never right. quite 100%. And I've seen a lot of teams uh, spend like a week setting things up with local stack and then one day it just breaks and then you spend like another week trying to fix it, uh, whereas it's just much easier to say, like I said, create a temporary account or have the same account, but create a temporary environment because you can just say with the server framework, you can deploy to a new stage called, uh, I don't know, local test or something like that. And then you can just run your function locally, but against the real AWS services, things like DynamDB and things like that. But for things like step functions, it's a bit more tricky just because uh, the whole orchestration, the whole engine is running in AWS. So for things like that, I think it's a little bit harder to sort of move away from trying to you know, simulate something locally. To So I think what they're doing now with the step functions local, I think it's a step forward, but still it's, yeah, it's not as uh, smooth as you would like. So I guess besides, because you talked about, you know, when you made a transition from Elastic Beanstalk to Lambda, it was quite difficult. So I imagine testing was one of the big issues that sounds like you're still looking for the, the right solution for your team. Uh, was there any other challenges that, that you had to sort of find your way around when you made a transition to from, uh, from running machines to running Lambda functions? 
There's uh, some limits that we ran into that were not very, uh, we didn't know those limits. For instance, there's, I think, I think it's seven gigabytes of data in all of the environments of Lambda. So we're using the serverless framework. We're just, you know, everything that you would update and it's our payload is very big or was very big. And so we're running out of space in AWS. And as a matter of fact, uh, we solved that using one of your utilities to move unused versions of the Lambdas. So that's one thing. The other thing is we were also using, this is, we're not using it anymore, uh, but we had another uh, solution to import presentations into the system. And so we're using, I think it was open office and open office, you know, we had to have that in the environment. I think we're, in the end, we were using layers because eventually we solved it using layers, but at first we were just uploading the binaries into the system. And so we're running into problems with the limit of the actual Lambda itself. I believe it's 512 megabytes that you can use. And so we're running out of space. It's sometimes it's difficult to get into those issues. At least we've solved it for now. We have other issues right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess that yeah, when you come into that you know, the Lambda uh, from traditional more traditional development paradigms. Uh, one of the first things you run into is all these different limits. <laughs> you never think to look for them until you run into it. But uh, I think the good thing is that AWS does publish the limit on the documentations page. So once you hit these limits a few times, do learn to look at a service you're using, check the limits, and then see what you're doing, whether or not it fits into those limits. Uh, so I think over time, that's second nature to me nowadays. Uh, whenever I'm looking, doing something, I'm always checking the limits to see uh, what I'm trying to do, if it fits within the limits of that service. And uh, you know, most things has got a soft limit for the things that you commonly want to change. But uh, we've learned that it's still got some hard limits. I think the 75 gig limit that you mentioned, that's the soft limit now. So you can, you can raise that. Uh, and you can also use the stuff that I pushed out, open source tools I pushed out so that you can delete any old versions of your functions that you no longer use. That's going to help you keep you within that 75 gig code storage limit as well. What about in terms of the operational side of things? Uh, like we said, Jose, you've got a small team uh, and uh, you know, you're coming from a more traditional you know, front-end and back-end development background. I guess learning must have been a big challenge for you guys. Was there anything that uh, what do you guys do to sort of help everyone learn the latest and greatest practices when it comes to Lambda and how do you sort of keep up to date? Well, I was just going to briefly mention that the uh, when you said that you know, you. I just wanted to quickly mention that the AWS documentation sometimes it could be very obtuse, in my opinion. Uh, so sometimes we want to learn how to use certain technologies, and just by following the AWS official documentation, I think is is not enough. It's really tricky. So we've, you know, Jorge has been, you know, leveraging other resources for sure. And, you know, sometimes we've had uh, issues, sometimes even in production, but when we're, sometimes we run into these limits and then we have to uh, go and understand what's, what's going on because um, the, the documentation is, is hard to navigate, I, I, would, I would say. But yeah, Jorge, I don't know if you have more about how you went about to learn all these technologies. Yeah, one of the things actually, I come from Windows uh, development, you know, way back when I didn't even have AWS account before I joined Slidebean. So I didn't know anything about AWS. And one of the things that we've been talking about over the last few years is that we need to learn AWS platform better. 
So actually, I did my first certification for AWS, the first one, the Certified Cloud Practitioner. And we're probably going to be moving on to other certifications for that. I mean, certifications are kind of useful. AWS has so many services, it's very, very difficult for us. Like I said, we're a small team. The serverless framework is a great resource for us. Uh, and I'll apex up because we actually run an, an express server that hosts our GraphQL services up there. You know, we just need to continue learning. Just, yeah. It's a continuous process of learning and mm -hmm. learning more. <laughs> yeah. And I was just going to quickly talk about uh, maybe our challenges with visibility. So it's hard to... I mean, just by using AWS and, and going through those, those logs with CloudWatch and whatnot, it's, I think it's not the best experience. So that's why we've been looking for other solutions like Lumigo to really, you know, we've had to learn how to uh, uh, print out and, and kind of like publish those logs out to Lumigo so that we can make them useful. Because sometimes when we want to debug something in production, if there's a customer that's saying that something is going on and we want to look at those logs that's something that we have to have to learn the, the hard way and it's a bit difficult to navigate just by using aws i would say so one of the things that we started project last year was we needed better observability for our current solution which is monthly services and like i said we ran into lumigo by mistake and as, as a matter of fact i think it was a newsletter that you published and jose saw it and he said, you know, maybe you should use look into that. And that's why we're using Lumigo. We're only using Lumigo for that current solution. Last year, like I said, we were looking for better observability. And we uh, started using Datadog for that. And the first thing that we ran into is we started shipping our logs to Datadog. Our first bills were more than our AWS costs. And I uh, had to run and see how to reduce our logs. Now we're only sending our error logs. Right now we're probably gonna moving, cutting Datadog off and moving 100% to Lumigo because it's, it's a better tool for us. There's a issues page and it tells you exactly what's happening and it's a, it's a great summary page for us. And you know that's the idea that we're currently to do this this year yeah you know what that's a really common story i've heard so many times uh, that uh, the, you know, that's the cost of uh, for using things like datadog but then there's also additional costs for the api course you have to call to uh, what well, datadog has to make to forward all of your logs and all of your metrics and i still think uh, you know like fine debugging problem using metrics and, and logs i think just very labor intensive and like you said the issues page with Lumigo is just so useful. I just go there and everything's already being sort of categorized by the error type and the function. I just have to go in and have a look. I don't have to make any decisions. I don't have to look for anything. I mean, for me, at least, uh, it's just been really, really helpful, especially, you know, I'm, like the, I'm the one man backend team for a few of my clients. So I need to be very efficient and uh, finding problems quickly. And I'm glad to hear that you guys are you know, finding something similar as well. And I'm also like one thing I also find myself doing more and more with Lumigo is uh, I don't have to write many logs anymore because Lumigo just captures most of the things that I need uh, out of the box. So before, like you, I was writing a lot of uh, trace logs. I was thinking about you know, sampling my logs so that I don't, I don't write uh, all my debug logs in production. Yeah, nowadays I just don't have to worry about that anymore because uh, I just don't have to write that many logs. I only write logs when there's something that's, you know, I don't see in Lumigo things like I'm doing loads of computation in the in the code. Uh, there's some 
business logic that's complicated. So I now I write some trace logs there. But other than that, I don't have to do a lot of sort of common logs. You do like console.log event, uh, JSON stringify.event. I see so many people do that just so that they can capture the, the invocation events and they can go back to, uh, to it later when they need to debug something. But yeah, I'm really happy that you guys are enjoying Lumigo. Uh, it's, I, I do think it's by far the best tool for applications where you're primarily working with Lambda and the you know, serverless components. Just, just one thing. I have to say Datadog's support is horrible. And Lumigo's, their support people are so much better. It, it's, it's night and day. You know, sometimes in Datadog, it took days and days just to get a response. It, it, I mean, that, that whole thing just, you know, we had a lo- really long long issue with them and uh you know really let me go is just so much better for support that's really good to hear i'll tell the guys uh, i'm sure they'll appreciate that uh, i guess uh what's next for slidebean what's the next evolution of your architecture that you foresee um yeah so right now like i said we're in that transition where before we were just a presentation application for people to create a presentations online and now we are trying and Uh, to cater to other startups and help them out in any way we can to get up and running. So we used to have a bunch of uh, services that were not integrated into our application um, that we were being, we were handling pretty much manually and other teams in our, in our company were handling. Like for example, uh, we would help, uh, we would try to connect startups with investors or we would allow them to download uh, document templates like, say a financial model to get them up and running. And we're now in the process of consolidating all of those services into a single platform so that our main application will no longer be just an application, uh, sorry, a presentation tool. It will encompass everything that we offer into a single dashboard. So that's where we're at, trying to um, merge everything and offer everything under a single uh, dashboard for all of our users. And so one of the first steps into that change was, well, of course the front end will change, but we wanted to split, uh, like I said, our GraphQL backend into smaller, smaller chunks of, of that, of subgraphs so that we can, our teams can work independently into, let's say somebody's just working on a, for example, we have startup lessons where people can see videos that we create about startup topics. And we're going to be, we publish those on, on YouTube, but we want to, Uh, be able to host them on our main dashboard. And so we want, for example, to have a single, a subgraph just for those startup lessons. And so uh, that merging of all the things that we offer under under a single hood, you know, comes some challenges like the splitting our backend and also joining everything on the front end. And yeah, I guess that's our main, what we're working on the most right now. So uh, architecturally, it's not going to change that much other than with the backend split. Um, but we also have this other application called Recurring, which is a, Jorge was talking about it as monthly services, but this is a, that's the code name for the, for the project. But we essentially uh, allow people to track their, uh, we allow startups to track their expenses. So uh, people, we give them a, a unique address and people can just forward all of their invoices to that address and we compile them under a dashboard. And that also, um, Uh, you know, our current solution uses SQS under the hood to process all those files and pretty much uh, receive a file. And the output is to have that uh, logically added to our database. So yeah, just uh, improvements in that technology. We're leveraging SQS because we can do batches. We can do different things that we cannot do with sub functions. And also 
Uh, we have uh, multiple points of, of entry for the workflow. We're probably going to be improving that solution over this year as well. Maybe, uh, you know, SQS have worked well for us uh, at the moment, but um, we um, sometimes we have issues and, and Lumigo is great to spot those issues that happens in those Lambda functions, but we probably want to evolve that architecture into the next uh, step, which is not clear right now with what that is. For now, SQS is working well, but we might examine a different solution in the, in the future. Okay, well, best of luck. And uh, sounds like uh, you've got uh, quite a bit of uh, interesting challenges ahead of you. Um, so I'm going to put the links to recurring as well as Slybin in the show notes for anyone who wants to uh, check it out. I guess the recurring kind of sounds interesting to me because I run a small uh, well, one-man consulting uh, company. I've got a lot of uh, expenses that I need to keep track of as well. Um, so I'll definitely check it out myself. Um, I want to thank you guys again for taking the time to come on this uh, podcast and sharing your experience uh, it's always good to hear how people's uh, journey uh, started and how it's going when it comes to serverless. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. And yeah, it's been a great ride. And, you know, just I would say that if everybody's having uh, the problems that we were having serverless, it's definitely a great solution to, to all those problems. So thank you for having us. And please try out Slidebean and Recurring too. Yeah. <laughs> Take it, guys. Okay, bye-bye. All right, bye. Thank you. Thank you very much. So that's it for another episode of Real World Serverless. To access the show notes, please go to realworldserverless.com. If you want to learn how to build production-ready serverless applications, please check out my upcoming courses at productionreadyserverless.com. And I'll see you guys next time.